episode 29 of 1530. Today we're going to be talking about some throwback matches because tennis is still not happening. We're still on hold due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but we want to talk about some great matches in the past and we'll, we'll still cover stats as we usually do. Now introducing your hosts, Ben and Matt. First, I'll start us off with a stat of the day as we usually do. So the stat of the day I have for you today is 57 winners. So the two matches I want to be talking about today are two matches that Stan Wawrinka played at the French Open since normally this is the time where the French Open be happening. It's the first week of June. So I want to talk about Stan Wawrinka, and I'll get into how he played Stefano Tsitsipas in an amazing match last year that went five sets. It was their first career meeting, and it was a firecracker. Uh, Stan Wawrinka had 57 winners. He won that match narrowly. He also won his first and only French Open title against Novak Djokovic with also that same magic number of 57 winners. And just thought that was interesting as I was going through their stand, played some amazing tennis, came up with some huge winners, especially there was one notable behind or around the net post shot with his backhand at full speed that was amazing. The crowd amazed me when I was watching as well. So I'll get into and talking about that match. Because, um, yeah, I'm not huge... Um, French Open fan, but I'm actually missing it quite a bit right now. I prefer Wimbledon, but Matt, what do you got for us? Yeah, so let's start out. Uh, last time we recorded, we talked a little bit about Agassi and Sampras and some other epic rivalry. We just touched on one match. I wanted to take a more macro view of their rivalry over the what, the 90s mostly and look at a little bit kind of how they compared to uh, the big three that we see today. Uh, obviously, I, I think that you have to include the caveat up front, right, that the game of tennis has changed a little bit since uh, even just in the 21st century, since uh, Agassi and Sampras had their heyday. Uh, nonetheless, it's fun to compare and kind of look at, uh, at their styles and their games. Uh, Agassi, as most people know, was known, I would say, more comparable to Djokovic uh, maybe a little bit in Nadal and in the way that he was super aggressive on the return, right? He was known as yeah. probably one of the best returners in the game, especially while he was at his peak. Um, just as we talk about Djokovic today, whereas Sampras was more of the Federer-esque type, uh, super aggressive first and, and even his second serve uh, and followed up his shots a lot going to the net um, with, with that style of game that we see in Federer playing just smooth and um, calculating, super super smart tennis player. Uh, so I wanted to look at those. You know, we have these general ideas. Oh, you know, Agassi, super good returner. Maybe not so much on serve. Sampras, the opposite. And then to see how those numbers, uh, as I said, compared to the big three. Um, what we see is is really kind of interesting. So if we look at um, service points, one, the percentage, and then uh, that's obviously feeds into the service games that you win, right? If you win more points on your service, you're going to win more games on your service. Um, it, amongst these five players, uh, Sampras actually does come in first over, over his career, over the careers of everybody. Percentage-wise, he won 69.4% of, of his service points, which led to him winning 88.8% .8 of all of his service games. Um, whereas Agassi came in dead last 
So he was down at 65.8% of his first serve points won and only 84% of his service games won. So he was, what, four, almost five percentage points below uh, Sampras. Uh, if you compare this to the big three, it's interesting to see um, Fed is almost exactly the same as Sampras. So he won, he wins 69.7% of his service points, which leads him to win 88.8% of his service games, which that game percentage is the exact same as Sampras, and he's 0.3% better in his service points one. So really close there. Uh, and then you look at Nadal and Djokovic, and they are also exactly the same. So their service points one were at 67.5% and jokes 67.3%. And then their service games one was 85.8% exactly for both of them. So you oh, see this, yeah. right, this, this super yeah. interesting dichotomy. Yeah, it's kind of kind of freaky. Um, but so that held up, right? Over the careers of these two players, Sampras, clearly a better server, winning 5% more of his service games than Agassi won over his career. Uh, and so that was just really interesting to see. Uh, ben, you brought up the, the serve factor a couple, um, uh, what, a couple of rec rec recordings ago. Yep. You wanna talk about that a little bit? We yeah, so we can talk about that. Here. Yeah, we basically wanted to use that as a way to analyze the matches of the Australian Open and really for any matches on, but that's when we developed the serve factor here at 1530. So what we, what we talk about for that is really Right, because you have some players like Federer who are really good at winning the first serve points. Sampras, again, is another one of those, right, where, as you said, Matt, they use a really big first serve. They can get to net or they can hit that really big first forehand and win the point. Other players like maybe Nadal or Sampras, they're better uh, really getting into the rally. Maybe maybe they have better second serve percentage. Maybe they just have a better first serve percentage, you know, getting the ball in. So it's kind of hard. You, you have so many numbers to look at. We just wanted one number at 1530 to kind of – boil everything down to how good are they serving? So we call it the serve factor. So what goes into that is we basically take the first serve percentage uh, as a percent and we add it, or we multiply it to the first serve points one as a whole number. And then we add it to the second serve points one as a whole number. And then you come up with a number and it can be over a hundred, obviously, if you know, you're serving hundred um, percent first serve sandwich is unlikely, but it could happen. And then you're high on both of the other numbers. You could be pretty high. I think the most we saw when we were charting the Australian Open was around 130. Um, but here we have the surf factors for the different players. So as, as you talked about, Matt, you know, we expect, you know, Federer and Sampras to probably have some of the best surf factors. Um, wasn't necessarily the case. So we'll go through them real quick. So we have Agassi at 98.6. Uh, we had Sampras at 100.7. We had Federer at 105.1 about. Nadal at 106.6. And Djokovic at 103.3. So really not a huge spread. You know, the lowest was Sampras, or excuse me, Agassi at 98, uh, almost 99. Really, that's not a huge spread between 99 and um, and what was that, 107 about. But it was just weird to see Sampras and Federer not lead it. And I was very, uh, you know, thought that they would, would lead that. Nadal actually had the best serve factor overall, 106.6. And it looked like, just from the number, the big one that stands out is even though he doesn't win as many points on his first serve, his first serve percentage is a lot higher over his career. And I'm assuming, Matt, these are career numbers, uh, including the slams, or were they just uh, just the slams? They are, yeah, their career. So everything, every match everything. they played. Every match they played, which is crazy, like you're saying, when some of these numbers end up being so, so, so similar. Um, but, yeah, interesting to see that. You know, it's kind of a different era here that – 
both Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal all over 100 on their surf factor, and it's so close. Their spread is 103 to 106.6. Uh, so pretty amazing that all these guys are able to serve at the level they serve in all aspects of the game. They do a little differently, right? Federer's maybe a little bit more aggressive in the first serve. Nadal's good at getting that first serve in, and second serve, he's really good, and Djokovic is solid really on both. Um, but it's just an amazing area of, era of tennis that we live in. Yeah, and I think an interesting point on the surf factor is, uh, I mean, you you look at obviously the the three uh, data points you put into there. Nadal, who has the highest surf factor here, has the highest first serve percentage, right? He got sixty eight point three percent of his serves, and whereas Sampras, who, I mean, I guess you can say he's in fourth here compared to everybody, um, had the lowest first serve percentage. He was at fifty nine point five percent. Now, at the same time. He won 80%, 81% of those serves that he got in, those first serves that he got in. Whereas Nadal is sitting at 72% of the first serves he gets in and uh, wins those points. So I thought that was kind of an interesting dichotomy to see. All right, well, does it pay to be a super aggressive on that first serve and, you know, maybe miss a couple more times than usual, but get your opponent on their back foot more often? Or is it better to just have a well-placed confident for serve and then get into the point right it's it's always that uh, the trade-off like you're saying do you go for the ace or if you miss it you risk a double fall or even almost worse sometimes is uh the, the other player on the other side can tee off on your second serve which i know murray you know has he had good ace count had good first serve but his second serve is always pretty weak uh, relatively and so some of these players are able to pounce on it. it's like you're saying it's a hard thing to you know to coach it's kind of based on your player's uh, strengths but uh Clearly, Nadal has done a great job, even though he doesn't always go for a lot of aces. Sure. Um, another quick note on the surf factor. So we did, and this wasn't something that we, when we designed it, we knew, but we just kind of found out from charting matches. We could, we would compare the winning player to the losing player on the surf factors. We would subtract the two, take the delta. And what we saw was that in general, the person who had the better surf factor won, which made sense, but also it kind of matched up to how decisively they won. So a serve factor difference delta of uh, about 30 was a very decisive straight sets win. A difference of 20 was maybe a tight straight setter um, or, a, or a four setter that was decisive. And then it went on from there all the way down to five sets. If it was a difference of 10, it was a decisive five setter, meaning you know a, a couple of the sets were maybe blowouts. Six, one, six, two is what I'm meaning by that with decisive. But a fifth setter that really could have gone to anybody was with less than five. So if you compare Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, their surf factors, if you were to compare them head-to-head -head purely based off the stat alone, I know there's a lot of style and stuff that would be different with these. Not only, you know, would I guess Nadal would have the best between them, but they're definitely within five. You know, you take Federer minus Nadal, it's, uh, it's 1.6. So that would tell you based on our, you know, empirical evidence that we've gotten, that would be a a toss-up five-setter, um, and then even Djokovic between either of them, that's that's less than two or three delta. So yeah, I just think that's interesting with the serve factor that really, you know, it's all about, as people say, as long as you hold serve and you don't get broken, you're probably going to win, with the exception, of course, of tie breaks. So just an interesting matchup between the two of them. So I, I wonder if that really truly would be the case with Agassi, if he would have the hardest time against uh, the big three today. But it's hard hard to know because they don't exactly play in the same era. Federer played Agassi, but it was he was kind of you know not at his peak anymore. So 
Just an interesting thought there. Yeah, that is interesting. So moving on to the return side of the game, Agassiz's preferred side. Um, yep. What we see uh, is kind of a flip of what we saw with the service to an extent, right? So mm -hmm. coming in first, uh, let's see, yeah. Yeah, coming in first was Rafa. Uh, Nadal won 42.4% of his return points and subsequently 33.4% of the return games that he's played over his career. Um, Joe comes in, a, again, a really close second. He won 42.1%, so just 3.3% fewer points, return points than Nadal, um, and has won... 32.1% of his return games. And then Agassi comes up again in a close third. So he's at 41.7% of uh, return points won, uh, which led to 31.7% of his return games won. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's right up there uh, with the top. Uh, Fed comes in fourth at 39.6% of his return points won, which led to 26.7% of his return points won. And then Sampras last, right? 38 yeah. points, 38% of his return points won and 24% of his return games won. So almost, you know, 7% fewer games, return games won by Sampras compared to Agassi. So you can see here, I mean, compared to Agassi and Sampras, definitely a really nice dichotomy there of uh, Agassi, obviously, super good returner, known for that. Uh, and it paid off. It's interesting to see if you can get above that. <laughs> I mean, this is obviously a super small sample size, but if you can can get above that forty percent return points one, it uh, seems to increase your percentage of return games, obviously. But it seems to increase it by like five percent or more. Yeah, you're right. There's like a tipping point there, right? Because Federer wasn't that exactly, far yeah. off, right? He was at thirty nine point six. You know, so teetering on forty, even Sampras thirty eight. But like you're saying, that forty seems to be the magic number because their return games won or just not that good for Fed and Sampras. I wonder if those are a lot of the deuce games. They just can't quite get over the hump, mm. which like Djokovic and Nadal and I guess he were able to. I was yeah shocked by a couple of things. Number one, I, I was expecting Djokovic, honestly, to have the better return points one, but maybe it's just uh, kind of some recency bias because I know early in his career, you know, maybe struggle took a little longer to, to get up to speed, but obviously lately he's been good. And the other thing that surprised is like you mentioned that how high Agassi was, he was right up there with the big dogs. You know, that's, um, that's not that big of a difference, especially when you're talking about return games won. Um, exactly. He was right, right there next to Djokovic and Nadal. So I wonder in this era, you know, if, if it would have been a similar way if he would have given, you know, maybe Fed or or other players more more problems because of the return game being so solid. But yeah, you're you're right. It's tennis is fun because sometimes because of the contrast of styles. Thinking Federer, Nadal, or Agassi, Sampras, it's that's pretty interesting. The last thing I have is just a, a super quick comparison. Agassi Sampras head to head in the Grand Slams only. Um, mm -hmm. And how these, you know, those four percentages changed as they were, you know, taking it out of over their career and looking just at them, just on the big stage. Um, they played what, like, I think, yeah, so nine matches all together. Um, in Grand Slams, do you know who has the, in the Grand Slams, obviously they played more um, outside of that. 
you know who has the the lead between these two? Uh, Sampras and Agassi for the lead for the most slams between the two. The lead, yeah, head to head, just tournament wins. Oh, head to head. Um, I would go Sampras because I think he had more slams. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Okay. Right. Yeah, in their career, head to head as well. I mean, out, even outside of those slams, okay. Sampras had, has the the edge. Um, but what we find is that uh, <laughs> there, you can just see in these numbers how they attacked each other. Um, their numbers go down in every one of these areas, service points one, service games one, return points one, return games one. Um, it goes down everywhere except for a slight bump in the service games that Agassi won. He actually increased 3%. But I think the biggest difference is that in the return games one, well, so I say this and really, yeah, so I'm going to say this with the with a caveat that these numbers are all really close. So I'll read right. these out. Exactly. But Agassi, it's on the return games one. Agassi dropped 18%, um, whereas Sampras dropped only 10% of the return games one. So obviously Sampras did a better job of holding his serve, and Agassi um, did a much worse job in these. Grand Slam matchups against Sampras than uh, he normally does. Now, that being said, uh, it's very clear that these games, all these matches, all came down very closely, right? So Agassi won 13.5% of the return games against Sampras in the Grand Slam matches they played. And Sampras mm -hmm. won 13.3% of the return games. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're exactly the same, right? Almost practically. And so, which means that the service games, they won almost exactly the same, 86.5, 86.7. And so you see <laughs> these matches uh, on a statistical basis, the games being won, I just, it's a game of inches, right? Right. So in the end, Sampras won six Grand Slam matches against Agassi to Agassi's three. So. Interesting. Yeah, like you're saying, when, when not much separates two players in terms of their, you know, not only tennis ability, but just in terms of even statistics, it makes it hard to even get into. It makes me think about the trade-off where, you know, talking to a player like Federer, and not all the players think this way, but some of them do. They, he, you know, you talk to him about statistics and he, you know, not that he ignores them completely, but that's not his focus, right? He, you know, if he wins, it's a, it's a good win, you know, even if he kind of ekes it out, if he has, if he has a close loss, even though statistically looks okay, you know, that's, that's not necessarily something he's going to draw positivity from. So I, I, I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, if the stats help you to get to the top, but don't, not necessarily keeping you at, keeping you there, there's other tactics or just, I don't know, dare to say, you know, luck or maybe even some, uh, you know, intuition about where to hit the ball. I don't, I don't know exactly, but I, I just wonder how much, how much these players actually look at the stats and then especially as trying to get those small little edges, are they saying, oh, yeah, with Nadal, I'm going to try to, you know, spin my serve in a little bit more, or, you know, whatever the case may be to raise their first serve percentage. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on that, Matt, with when it's when it's so close at the top? How much how much attention do you really think they pay to the stats? Yeah, I, I have to imagine that it's not a huge focus, just like you said. Yeah. I, Maybe that'll change in the upcoming generations. Maybe That's, these guys are still just kind of older, old school, but I, 
Yeah, I mean, you said it exactly. It's when you're on the court, the stats really matter that much. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, may, and maybe the coaches feel differently, but uh, yeah, I just wonder with the players, like, it's at some point they just have to execute too. You know, they could have the right, you know, the right serve, and then they miss the easy, you know, the easy volley. I mean, we we do see the pros miss easy shots, some you know, occasionally. Right. So sometimes it is just execution, but uh, or or nerves in Federer's case, like he said, yeah. sometimes his coach is like, hey, you know, you've if you've had the game to beat Nadal, you know, you have the right tactics. Just think a lot of it's just nerves and a lot of it's execution. And ever since then, you know, that Australian Open 2017, it's been a very different story every time he's played Rafa. Yep. The exception at Roland Garros. So tennis is an interesting sport. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Yeah, thank you for talking about the Agassiz Sampras for okay. us. Let's transition over to French Open because it is – would be the French Open going on right now. So I picked two matches out from the from the vault for for looking at here. First, we'll talk about Stan Wawrinka. This this is his in 2015 French Open final. This is his second Grand Slam final. He is first Grand Slam final. He had beaten Nadal in in Australia. He also beat Djokovic in route to that, um, which was amazing. And he, Nadal happened to be the number one player at the time, so he had to beat him in the final here at the French Open. You know, Djokovic. Beats Nadal, so he becomes the favorite. Of course, Nadal wasn't really fully healthy, but you know, Djokovic had lost to Nadal um, before, or he had ran into Federer. But point is, you know, this is a very good opportunity for him to t complete his career slam. And Stan comes out firing. He does not um, allow Joke to dictate. In fact, Joke is the one that kind of comes out looking a little bit flat, looking a little bit, you know, playing the counterpuncher, waiting for Stan to miss. And Stan just decides to go for go for the lines. And so I want to pull up those stats for us today and look at that. So first of all, ace count over the match or ace percentage. So Stan, he's really going for it on his first serve as well. He aces 7% uh, versus 4.5% uh, for Joke. And he did double fault a little bit more. He double faulted 2.5% uh, uh, compared to zero for Joke. So really, I guess you could kind of take away you know, the ace double fault, it's, they're, they're pretty much equal on that when you take into account Stan's double faults on that day. But then if you look at the serve numbers, so first serve in, they're pretty much the same, 66% to 65% for Stan and Joke respectively. First serve percent, uh, points one, Stan's is much higher at 76% to 63% for Djokovic. And 76%, that's a pretty high number for Clay. Uh, those are usually numbers where you see enough for a fast hardcore or, or grass. So impressive that Stan is able to really dictate. Um, and then on the second serve, points one, Djokovic is a little bit better at 53% to 51% for Stan. And the breakpoint numbers, they each faced a lot of breakpoints. Even though Stan, you know, he drops the first set, he wins the next two sets. But even then, so many of the sets, he, even once he has the lead and you feel he has the momentum, he gets, you know, into a hole on his service game, a low 30 hole, or he gets a breakpoint. And he has to save it. But these guys both saved a lot of break points. So Stan saved um, 8 of 10 break points faced. Djokovic saved 11 of 15. So you can see that's obviously the difference there, right? So Stan was able to save all but two. Joke saved all but four. You know, he faced, Joke faced more. But, you know, those extra two break point differential is the, really the difference maker. Um, I mentioned the 57 winners for Stan, the stat of the day. Joke, on the other hand, only had 28. So huge difference. As I, as I was saying, Stan was the aggressor, and he really, it really paid off. 
Maybe it was those shorts. I don't know if you remember those really ugly shorts that Stan had, but maybe yeah, uh, maybe Joe was intimidated. But um, playing tricks yeah, on the guys or something. Yeah, but even though Stan dropped the opening set, which um, he he ends up doing um, several times. I guess he didn't do it against Nadal in his Slam final, but he did it to joke in the U.S. Open final when he beats Djokovic in 2016. He dropped the first set as well, but still was able to recover quite nicely. And it's just, yeah, just amazing that uh, if I wouldn't have known this match was at Roland Garros, I would have guessed, like I said, it was a maybe a Wimbledon match based on that first serve percentage. So really credit to Stan. And, you know, this, this was a pretty fun match to watch. I remember watching this one. And there were some great rallies, but but Stan, the aggressor, definitely paid off. So definitely one for looking at highlights. If you need some Roland Garros this week, I would recommend watching Stan Wawrinka, Novak Djokovic. The final score was 4-6, 6-4, 6-3, 6-4. And it was uh, Wawrinka being victorious, his second Grand Slam. So pretty amazing. The, the next, uh, any comments on that match, Matt? You remember that uh, one? I just thought it was glorious. <laughs> yeah. Joke wanted that that French Open bad, but didn't get it. I know. Uh, I, no, I, I, statistically nothing. I mean, when when Marinka decides to start hitting his shots, there's. I mean, he'll just he'll hit you off the court, and so it's it's fun to watch it when he gets into that mindset and he gets into a groove and just goes to right. Town. And he really did that the entire Grand Slam. So I, I remember watching uh, the the semifinals. Uh, or maybe it was the quarters, don't recall. I think it was the semis against Roger uh, Federer, his countryman, who, you know, Federer has beaten him, you know, you know, multiple, multiple times. He only has a couple losses to Stan, um, notably on clay, though. Uh, but I think St uh, Federer had just beaten Stan a couple weeks earlier in Rome in a very easy straight set affair. So I, as a Federer fan, I mean, I'm a fan of both guys, but I was assuming this would be a pretty easy match for Federer. But, it, you know, it was a straight sets win for Stan. Uh, and you usually don't see Federer go down straight sets. Federer didn't play bad, actually. Uh, it was a tiebreak in the third set, but Stan was just too good. You know, Federer would would be aggressive. He was going to net a little bit, and Stan would just hit a ridiculous passing shot. You know, 100 miles an hour. It was it was uh, it was amazing to watch. Like you said, watch Stan be locked in, and and he defeated Federer and Djokovic in route to a slam. So he's definitely taken the hard route, uh, winning slams. His first slam, like I said, he had to beat Djokovic, and then Nadal, the number one ranked player at the time. This one, he had to face Djokovic, who's the number one ranked player at the time to actually get it in the final. And then he beat Federer in route, which, you know, Federer's always been, you know, kind of in the, the top few guys. So pretty awesome. And then I want to talk about a, one of my favorite matches of the year last year. It was also the French Open. This was Stan Wawrinka and Stefano Tsitsipas. It was their first meeting together. Uh, of course, some beautiful one-handed backhands and a, and a five-setter to boot. Uh, this one went 7-6. Uh, Five seven six four three six eight six, because as we know, French Open does not have a tiebreaker in the fifth set. Still, it's the only set or the only major that doesn't have that now. All the majors are unique in that that sense, which is cool. Um, and Stan Wawrinka came out the victor. So we'll go through the numbers now. Uh, first serve percentage was sixty eight percent for Tsitsipas and sixty two percent for Wawrinka. First serve points one, both in the seventies. So again, I would you know. I think this is not a clay court match. 71% for Vavrinka, 74% for Tsitsipas. And then the second serve points one was 51% Vavrinka, 47% for Tsitsipas. So um, 
about a 4% difference there on the second serve and about a 3% difference on the first serve. So as you can tell, it's super tight, right? Yeah. Tsitsipas is a little bit more aggressive on the first serve, second serve. Stampa Brink is doing a little bit better. And then break points. Uh, one was five for 14 for Vavrinka for a 36% conversion rate. Tsitsipas also won five break points, but he had 27 chances to break. I thought that was amazing. Um, he only had obviously a 19% conversion rate. So, so Tsitsipas had almost twice the amount of chances as Stan did to break. They each broke the same amount of times. Of course, there's a tiebreaker in the first, but Tsitsipas just got to convert those. So it was kind of cool to see you know, kind of the next gen versus the guard, the current guard, kind of battling it out. And it was, uh, it was a beautiful match to watch. Amazing points, very long rallies, um, and of course, some beautiful one-handed backhands. So in the end, it was, uh, as you would be able to guess, the total points won was, you know, 50% to 50%. Uh, it was only decided by one single point. Tsitsipas, unfortunately, won one more point than Stan, 195 points to 194 points. Uh, but he still came up loser in that match, which occasionally does happen. And uh, another big number that stands out is 16 aces for Stan versus three for Tsitsipas. So Vavrinka again, just bringing it, bringing it with the serve, um, and only a handful of double faults. But this is a, this is another great fun one to watch if you like some some epic rallies and Tsitsipas scrambling all over the court to get the ball. But I don't know if you're able to watch this one last year, Matt, or see the highlights, but. Yeah, I think I only saw the highlights of it. Yeah. But definitely wanted to go back and find if you can. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to watch some highlights this week because we know for the fans, right, this is a, it's a tough time without sports. So <laughs> get out there and watch some highlights and enjoy tennis. It'll be really weird. The, the last comment I want to make about the French Open, it'll be really odd if the French Open does play in October, which is, I think, still the plan, right, right after the U.S. Open. I haven't heard anything against it. So. Yeah. Neither have I. So just really briefly, I want to make a comment on that. So we, this is many episodes ago. I believe this was last year, maybe somewhere around episode 15. But uh, we talked about Rafael Nadal. And obviously, he's won the most French Opens. It's only been a handful of times that uh, he has not won since he's been playing it since 2005. Uh, once was Federer 2009. Once was Favrinka, we just mentioned, and then Djokovic won at the last year. So he ended up um, getting that career slam and uh, overcoming that tough defeat to Favrinka. Other than that, it's been all Nadal. So, um, but we also kind of charted off on the warm-up matches how Nadal does and what the win percent is going into the French Open because usually he has lights out on any match on clay. But there's some years where he struggled out the gates and some of those years he's lost, some of those years – it's been a close match in the final. So I just wonder, you know, on a normal season, I think he can play himself into form if he's not feeling it or usually just be dominant from Monte Carlo on. But there's not going to be any clay warm-up tournaments so this year if the current plan goes off. So I don't know how that's going to affect, you know, Rafa and if the conditions are a little bit colder. Um, maybe the court's not being as fast. Like I would assume that would benefit Nadal, but this would be a very interesting uh, even just for the statistics aspect, if we play a French Open this year in October. So I don't know your thoughts are on that. On Matt, do you still I think you'd still probably favor Rafa? Uh, you have to. Yeah. <laughs> French Open, Rafa Nadal, you cannot. Um, it's almost automatic now. But. It's almost, yeah. I, I mean, that is an interesting point, right? They, they make this argument every year. My dad 
he had a rough year one in the warm-ups one uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I think he ended up still doing really well in the French. I, I mean, sure. Do warm-ups seem to help? Yeah, for Rafa in the French. But I don't know. I think he's going to be hungry to get closer to Fed and see a, a really prime opportunity to do so. If it's if the French is played in October, still, so I think he'll be pretty motivated. Yeah, warm himself up on his own courts. That's what I was gonna say. I'm, I'm like that guy practices harder than you know almost anybody we know. So you know he could just put some extra time on the clay courts himself. And as long as he's not injured, I think you always got to favor Rafa. So and it's not like they're playing matches somewhere else right now on harder or grass. So I mean, exactly. I guess they'll have the hard court yeah. major before, but. Yep, I totally agree. All right. Well, that's all we have here at 1530. As always, visit us at cognitionsphere.com. Our theme music is brought to us by Kevin McLeod with excerpts from his song, Cool Rock. And until next time, we will see you on the court.